Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. This is the Lifestyle Business Podcast. As you expected, I hope this is where we believe building a business is the best way to create more personal freedom and opportunity in your life. Today, I'm joined, as is per the usual, by my captain, my co-host, a man whose internal company policy emails have been licensed as content for the upcoming corporate thriller, Fifty Shades of Green. Welcome to the program, Ian. How you doing, buddy? That's pretty funny. I'm doing okay, man. I'm back in the States. Uh, how about you? I'm in uh, Chiang Mai. As you can hear, my voice is a bit gruff. Uh, that's because I've been sucking on tailpipe for the last couple of days, man. This place is uh, particulate, a little bit smoggy at, at rush hour, and that's precisely when I decided to do a walking tour of the city. Yeah, buddy. Uh, you know, being back here in California, the skies are always blue. And, and I think about these poor auto manufacturers pulling out their hair every couple of years. The EPA is, you know, banging on them, trying to get their uh, standards higher and higher. And I, I'm, I'm actually thankful for that. <laughs> if you guys stick around to the end of the episode, Ian and I are going to talk about our theories on wealth, asset, like building assets, and uh, how that relates to entrepreneurship and, and lifestyle business. So stick around for that. This show got five stars on iTunes, Ian. Are you pumped about that? Sarah said, listening to Dan and Ian has been a huge help in, help in getting my business off the ground. I listen every day on my walk to and from work, and now I've left my job. Um, you guys keep me inspired, always entertaining, and always helpful. Thank you so much, Sarah, and congrats on leaving that J-O-B. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. You pumped about that? Awesome. Man? All right. We got a question from Ryan Higgins called in all the way from Cutter, from CutterExpat.com. Is it Cutter or Qatar? Qatar. Uh, let's, say, let's say Qatar. Qatar. Uh, it wouldn't be the Lifestyle Business Podcast if I didn't totally mangle some <laughs> pronunciation. All right, let's, let's get listening to that call. Hey, Dan and Ian. Great work on the podcast. I really enjoy listening to all the valuable resources you guys share on a weekly basis. Please keep it up. I've got uh, two quick questions for you. Uh, just a bit about what I'm doing. I'm trying to establish a social network. This is my first social network um, ever, so it's sort of a new challenge for me. Uh, the, the site is qatarexpats.com. It's basically a social network for expatriates living here in Qatar. And uh, basically, I, I'm having trouble getting some traction in terms of uh, user numbers to the site. So the site's been around for about uh, three months, and I've tried you know, four ways to, to kind of get traffic to come. I've been blogging on the site. Um, I have Google AdWords, you know, so I'm getting some inbound clicks that way. Um, I've got a bit of a Facebook presence, which has been... You know, sort of helpful, not as helpful as I would have liked it to be. And I've been attending networking evenings here in Qatar with business cards, you know, trying to, to kind of stir up a bit of um, a buzz that way. And despite doing those four things, I've found that the, the traffic really isn't growing as, uh, as quickly as I'd like to or as quickly as I need it to, really, because if it continues like this, it's going to take a really long time for the site to get anywhere. Thanks a lot, guys. Good luck with the work and have a great year. Hey, Ryan, man. Thanks so much for listening for the, to the show and for giving us a ring. Uh, this This 
reminded me of a story from, uh, from our recent conference, which Ian Borders was giving a talk and someone asked him a question. They said, what if I'm having a problem uh, convincing a joint venture partner to join up with my launch? And I was expecting Ian uh, to say something like a clever tip that you could like, you know, trick somebody into joining up with you or whatever. And his response was so cool. He said, look, if you're having trouble convincing one person to get on board with your product or service, good luck with with going out to a broader audience. And, yeah, and Ryan, I think that's a really good point. Ryan, when we took, and, when we took a look at what, you, what you're doing here, the, the fundamental issue is that you don't have a traffic problem. You have a value proposition problem. It's not clear what's going on at your site. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, so what it looks like here, Ryan, is that you got a bunch of advertisements from uh, what might be local businesses. And so they're paying ad space, I assume. And so what you're trying to do is uh, figure out a way to drive traffic to the site to keep those advertisers happy. And I think that's probably only going to work in the short term. I think probably these advertisers are going to stop paying, uh, assuming you don't drive traffic to the site. And that's essentially why you're trying to drive traffic to the site. But I don't think that's the right strategy. I think what you should try and do here, Ryan, is actually create valuable content. When I go to this site, I don't see any content. I don't, I don't know anything about this site. I don't know what it's about. Um, so start to have an angle, Ryan. Uh, yeah. Start to develop a personality around Qatar expats and, and figure out what that might be. And then I think that you're not going to have uh, angry um, advertisers. You're going to have happy advertisers because they're going to be targeted towards your audience. Yeah, here's so the thing. Ryan, Wait, here's get started the thing. Here's the, on don't, building don't, some content. Don't go getting off on a blog and warpath though you know you want to create content that's focused around where qatar expats are spending money that's the i think the big thing right you want to bring in where is it that people are spending money because that's where you're going to create this great relationship between users and the advertisers and ryan this is the type of angle that can eventually build up to a broader platform or say you had you know thousands of users interacting every day then you might be able to you know pull off the low friction business model what Ian's saying is at the beginning, you need a higher friction business model, like generating leads for people that are looking to buy real estate in Qatar, stuff like that. Is, would you agree with that, Ian? What do you think about real estate? Uh, I would agree with that, yeah. Okay, that works. All right. So, hey, Ryan, thanks for calling in, man, and, uh, and good luck with the site. And when you come up with a, a value proposition or when you figure out where the money is, let us know. We want to follow up on it and take a look. All right. Today in the meat and potatoes, we've got a doozy, Ian. We're going to talk about generating wealth and reconsidering retirement for entrepreneurs. We've got a lot of questions about the implications of entrepreneurship and lifestyle business on retirement and wealth. And uh, well, first off, let's just go to a call from our, our friend, uh, Joel Runyon, and hear what he's got to say about it. Uh, what do you guys think about retirement accounts? You know, a lot of my friends are CPAs. They got the, you know, the full-time careers. They're going to be there for the next 40 years. They're um, investing pretty heavily in their retirement accounts. Um, you know, I, I quit my job in December. I've been working on my business for a while. I'm maxing out my Roth IRAs. Um, but beyond that, I'm not doing very much on, uh, on a retirement uh, basis. So I'm focusing mostly on my businesses. But uh, what are your guys' opinion on retirement in general? I think that's an interesting topic. And then um, also, uh, what are your contributions to your, your, your different accounts and which ones do you have? So I'd love to hear you guys answer that question. Thanks. Hey, Joel, thanks for the ring, man. And thanks for continuing to support what we're doing here on, on the podcast. We're going to get a little bit into the whole IRA and 401k thing. But I mean, I think it's great to make max contributions. Uh, you know, Ian and I like don't have too hard of opinions about this. I think our opinions are a little bit more philosophical. Um, 
in particular, you know, Joel, you don't have a job, but if, if any of you out there have employee uh, matching programs, a lot of those are going the way of the dodo after 2008. But if you still got that, obviously, um, you're going to want to get that employer matching. But uh, Ian, do you have any really strong opinions about retirement contributions? I'm kind of like, yeah, man, go <laughs> yeah. for it I and mean, save yeah. all you can. Yeah, I mean, save as much as you can, especially if your uh, employer is matching your contributions. Man, you would be an idiot not to max out on that, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think we do have more f- philosophical points on, on, on this top. We were thinking about doing this episode a couple of weeks ago, and we asked a bunch of the tropical MBAs, you know, what does wealth mean to you? And not one of them said money. And I think that's the case for us too, man. I, you know, I, I look at retirement and wealth accumulation and things like that, and you know, the reason I became an entrepreneur in the first place was because I wanted to own my time. I think for me and you, time is the most valuable. Um, yeah. Is the most valuable thing that we can have. It's not necessarily money. And so, you know, I look at retirement and I think time. And I look at entrepreneurship and I think time. Time is the most important. But we're barking up the right tree here and Joel's getting us head in the right direction. We got a great question from listener Tim who said, you guys constantly talk about ideal life costing and dream lines. However, what about this wealth accumulation issue? Because Ian, you know, Tim could agree with you and say, sure, Ian, kumbaya, buddy. You got your time. That's great. But what happens when you're broke and you're 50 and you can't, you know what I mean? Or you're 60, you're 70, and then you have got kids that want to go to college. You're screwed, buddy. You know, well done on the time thing. And I think <laughs> what Tim is challenging us, and he's saying, um, the guy who throws away that six-figure per year job in order to live like a bum in Southeast Asia and sell cheap Chinese crap online. He's talking about you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the bum. You're the cheap Chinese crap. Um, that person might not have a nest egg or a plan for owning assets that serve as a backup plan and retirement income. To Tim's point, I think it's something important for the movement of, of lifestyle business, entrepreneurship, you know, sort of lifestyle design, all that to speak to this point. Um, because, uh, you know, this is the tree that we're barking up. We're entrepreneurs. We're trying right. to generate wealth. So let's speak to it. Let's talk about our perspective on this issue. And thanks, Tim, for, for challenging us to do this. Okay, so first things first. Fundamentally, we believe entrepreneurship is about wealth generation and management. So the whole backdrop to this conversation, like when you make that move to quit your job and become an entrepreneur, you're raising your hand. You're not saying like, I primarily want to be a bum or I primarily want to sell cat furniture or have an e-commerce site. You're primarily saying, I want to take control of wealth generation and management in my life. I want I to get, like it. I want yeah. to get good at this. Because, you know, here's Ian. Here, what's the contra example? It's the person who has the job and peels off the savings and puts it into other wealth managers' hands. So yep. that's bonds, that's stocks, that might be mortgages, which are vehicles created by banks and stuff. And so it's like, that's what um, uh, my boy MJ DeMarco would call the slow lane, right? Because you're doing one thing your whole life, which is jobbing, and then you're giving the wealth into somebody else, like your fund manager. Well, right. MJ DeMarco would say, look where the money is. That's the fast lane. It's the guys who's running the funds. It's the guys who's starting the business. Those are the guys who are actually generating the real wealth. Essentially, what you're saying here is that uh, as an entrepreneur, you can basically control the whole funnel, right? So, you know, as a jobber, you might have a really good job in the States and you might be making $100,000 a year, but that you can't control that, right? I mean, you're tapped out or you're, you're, you're topped out. Here's the fundamental side. thing. You're betting on yourself versus betting on financial instruments at a very small scale that you have very little clue about how they work, 
Remember back in the day when everybody was buying $400,000 homes on $40,000 salaries and it was like, yeah. you make 11% in mutual mortgage. Remember our uh, mutual funds? Yeah. That was like, you know, that was kind of like my early professional dogma is like, it was, you go to the interest calculator online and you just put 11% in there like a boss. Well, not so much anymore. Um, let's talk a little bit about this compound interest issue, Ian, because I think it's really important to take a look at. So we're going to do a little compound interest case study. Are you down for it, E? I'm ready. All right. Let's say you make that $100,000 a year back in the States. Now, Ian, you're a pretty frugal guy. What would be a reasonable percentage that you might be able to save off of that? Let's just let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say that you're able to save uh, post-tax twenty percent. So wait, I think post-tax twenty percent would be something like thirteen grand. Maybe. Yeah, those are some nasty uh, two words, buddy. Post-tax, right? So we're talking about if you make a hundred grand a year, you don't make a hundred grand a year. That's the the punchline of that, right? So right. if you save twenty percent of your take-home salary, you're talking about thirteen grand. Um, not too shabby, by the way. And a huge achievement for somebody living in, in a highly leveraged Western culture, like in kind of like borrowing culture, right? Um, and we're, we're basically assuming that like nobody's going to get sick, like grandma's not going to get sick and you're not going to have to be involved in that anyway. No tragedies come up. College doesn't come up, whatever. We're just talking about 13 grand a year, right? Putting it away. Um, if you did that for 20 years, make, continuing to make 100 grand for, for 20 years, what are you going to have at the end of the year? Do you have the number pulled up, E? I think you're probably going to have around, uh, what is it, $260,000 or so? No, you're going to have $548,000. Oh, with interest, correct. Okay. So you're going to have, according to my interest calculator, you're going to have $548,000 if you have a job for 20 years. So now do a thought experiment. Imagine a job for 20 years. Imagine making $100,000 consistently every year and saving 20% of it. At the end of your 20-year career, $548,000. $548,000. Not too Right. At like what? Like 6% or something like that? That's at 6%. So we're going to do okay. both calculations at 6%. Now, let's contrast that with what I would like to call, that would be the excellent Good Samaritan job scenario. Like that's better not than- bad. It's not bad, but it's better than anybody in my family has ever managed to pull off, right? Okay. Because that's tough to keep $100,000 going for 20 years, man. And it's tough to keep the 20% savings rate going. So that's a pretty good case. Let's compare that with the bad entrepreneur the bad case of entrepreneur. Let's say for 10 years, you're a bum and you don't save anything like you, Ian, right? Bum. Right. Like absolutely awful. Then after 10 years of apprenticeship, training, tropical MBA intern, whatever it is, you start socking away 30 grand a year for the next 10 years, which if you spend 10 years investing in learning how to grow small businesses and you're not socking 30 grand a year, that would be like, it's not that big of a thing. If you're in the game for 10 years, it's pretty normal. Um, yeah. Let's say after the course of, of that 10 years. Um, so this is like on your 20th year, you're like, I'm done. I'm tired of going to business. I'm going to sell it. And and it sucks. Right. Um, so they're only going to give you $100,000 for that. And by the way, if we're going to do the basic like three times uh, earnings calculation, uh, if you're managing to save 30%, um, your business will be way more than 100 grand. But like, we're, we're doing the bad entrepreneurial scenario. Right, so if you follow this bad entrepreneur case study, at the end of your 20 years, you're gonna have just over what the employee would have. You're gonna have six hundred thousand dollars, right? But okay, I basically say this to like, you know, the idea here is that like this is a pretty bad case for a scenario. 
uh, you're talking about like you're an entrepreneur for 10 years and you don't save anything, zero. And still at the end of the day, you kind of have a mediocre exit from everything that you've built after the course of 20 years. And you're still flat freaking equal with the, with the stellar standout good Samaritan employee. And my point here is like, okay, so we're all even, right? No, we're not even close to even because one person <laughs> did what they wanted to do for 20 years of their life. We don't yeah, buddy. So you got to be a bum and hang out in Southeast Asia. You got to travel to Chiang Mai. You got to live in 20 different countries. You got to live and wake up when you want on whatever beach you want. You got to be a bad entrepreneur, although you did learn some things. And you got the same amount as the guy that worked for 20 years in a job. Let's move on to number three point, which is the wealth of an entrepreneur, the true wealth of an entrepreneur. And, and this is something that's like a little bit more philosophical, Ian, which is that it's in going your own way and making a dent in the world, you know, like asking other people to vote on you with their wallets, to join you, to support you in your endeavor. This is a little bit like what you were saying when we asked the Tropical MBA people, like, what's wealth to you? It all came down to things like personal freedom and autonomy and purpose. It, people weren't saying like, you know, I really got to make sure that I have all this money. Yeah. I think it's easy for us to say, you know, as, as relatively young guys, like it's not, it's not important to have money right now, man. It's cool. When I'm 50, I'll figure it out. You know? So I think that's, that's the real risk here is that a lot of people might say in a job like, well, you're not thinking about your future. You're not, you're not thinking about what's to come down the pike, but I think really we are thinking about me- it. And I think that's why we work so hard every day um, is to build up these assets that we are building right now in hopes of uh, retiring eventually. I mean, I want to retire, don't you? I don't think about retirement, to be honest. I think about asset generation and accumulation, just like Tim's asking, you know? It's difficult for me to imagine waking up in the morning and not wanting to be industrious in some way or another. You know, it's like that classic Tim Ferriss argument that the types of people who can, who end up generating the types of, you know, those incomes that allow them to have a big fat retirement don't want it. Right. You don't want to retire. I mean, that's no fun. But here, I I got a a direct argument to your point, Ian, which is, and I think this is an important thing, like the whole bum in Southeast Asia thing and the whole like putting up affiliate sites or whatever, like this lifestyle design movement and micro entrepreneurship movement, lifestyle business, whatever you want to call it, it's happening in the context of entrepreneurship. So like I moved to the Philippines for Drupal developers, not palm trees, right? And the internet entrepreneurs that are flocking here to places like Chiang Mai, they're not coming here to bum out. Like, I know these people. Like, I sat in a coffee shop all day long with them. They are building assets, right? So, like, the cool thing about uh, um, the opportunities presented to us by, like, lifestyle design stuff is for 15 grand, you can come here and, and build assets for a year. When right. you look at, like, the, over the course of a working career, you might have, what, 30 good working years in you, 20? It depends how you count, whatever. You, you can buy back one year for 15 grand. That's a fantastic investment. Your thoughts? I agree 100%. <laughs> I think it's fun to just toss the stuff around uh, between us, you know, and uh, this is something that we think about all the time. But yeah, I agree 100% on this, you know, $15,000 to live in Chiang Mai for a year is, is you know, as we've said in the past, way more valuable than the $100,000 a year because you're not working on what you want to work on. You're not building skills out um, that directly correlate to an income that you can control. So I would take the $15,000 in Chiang Mai any, uh, any year of my life. Yeah, I was just talking to a guy down at the restaurant who, you know, he makes a, a good live, like he gets by, right, in this kind of environment. 
But he was just talking about, you know, something came up where he's got an opportunity to make a 20 grand sale this weekend. And and it made sense that those kinds of opportunities are going to come his way and they're going to continue to come his way in higher velocity. And I just think thought back to my parents. You know, you were talking about, Ian, like, well, what if something comes up like your kid wants to go to college and it screws up your whole savings plan? Well, you know, uh, people that have jobs, they have a lot less flexibility in what their income is. And so, again, yeah, if you, if that's, that's one of the things about having a job is that you're on a fixed income plan like yeah. that. That's, <laughs> that's it. it. Right. That's so it. like if you want to like go out and buy a, a brand new Mercedes and you don't make enough in your hundred thousand dollar your job to do that, like there's no options for you unless you want to start selling uh, selling drugs on the weekend. Right. Like what other options do you have? You work 60 hours a week and you make one hundred thousand dollars a year. Where do you go from there? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where you go. You got to start a business um, to, to earn more. I mean, you're essentially in a job. You're trading your time for money in entrepreneurship. You're not trading your time for money. And so that means that you can have a lot more streams of income than you can uh, with the job. And you got to believe in these trajectories too. So like the one trajectory that in our culture is like seems so easy to believe in is like this Warren Buffett investment plan, right? Which is like the compounding interest thing and like saving your money and putting it into stocks and stuff and, you know, 20 years later. But why doesn't everybody just automatically believe in the Mark Cuban self-investment plan? You know, I think you have to believe in your ability to improve over time. And Mark Cuban talks like about this brilliantly on his blog, uh, blogmaverick.com. Which is this idea of like, I mean, maybe it's because people have so much incentive to sell you on this investment plan, right? And I think you should do that anyway, right? But you got to do the other part, which is invest in yourself. If, you're, if your game plan is to, is, to, is to give yourself away for 20 years to some, somebody else's idea of how you should spend your time and not own that, I don't think that's a good long-term investment in yourself. And I, so I think it starts with you and it starts with how you're going to spend your time and what trajectory that puts you on. So we've seen a lot of this happen in real person. So Ian, I think in real life, I think it might make sense to talk a little bit about the time frames, right? Um, yeah. Because because you know everybody's it, when you when you go to the compound interest thing, it's re- pretty easy to see the time frames there. Uh, and by the way, with this whole time frames thing, it's like how many guys do you know that just got crushed in two thousand eight? Like yeah, I so, think a lot of people got crushed, especially people that had their money in uh, in the stock market. I know guys like that, you know, guys that you're trying to retire and instead they're like, now they're ha- they're trying to get jobs and stuff. And it's like, it sucks because those are the guys that are getting screwed because they've got a little bit of money, right? But they didn't, they don't know how to invest because they, they like they, they work jobs their whole lives. You know, that's a bummer. But let's, let's talk about the time frames thing. What I'm seeing, Ian, is that ballpark about a decade to get off the ground with this stuff. Which is a lot less, by the way, than it takes than the retirement game plan is. But we're still talking about some pretty massive and some intimidating time frames. So I'm seeing it taking about five years of skill building, and that's like five years of working in a business environment. And some of these cats, man, some of these young kids with the internet and everything, they're doing it faster than that. But I mean, I don't think it hurts to be a little bit conservative with this, and also, you know, get yourself into some uh, environments that you know are going to be sustainable for you. So like, you can't just go work for some. Uh, job or some business that you hate, you know, because you got you to gotta stick with that skill set for five years. And the other thing that I'm seeing, Ian, is that um, it's taken about five years of building businesses. Like a lot of people, it was kind of interesting to see a lot of the ballers. Um, what separates um, the ballers, like the Chris Duckers from the guys that are just getting started, is, is, is time, right? A lot of the people uh, in our group got, got started around 2007 because it might be the case that that's when the four-hour work week came out. Um, 
But a lot of those guys that started their businesses, started invoicing in 07, are having like, you know, seven figure businesses, many of them multi seven figure businesses. And I think that's fascinating, right? Because like, you know, I was talking to Derek Sivers and looking at what he did with his business. Well, he worked every day for 10 years at it. And then after 10 years, he sold it for 22 million. And that kind yeah. of makes sense to me, right? Like I was thinking about our business, Ian. We've been at it for five years. Do you think it's possible we could sell it for $22 million five years from now? I mean, I think that's a real sure. possibility. I don't think it's such a it's – a, it's not like gambling, is it? It's like it's possible we could have a plan to do that. You know, this doesn't really have to do with time frames. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off the path here a little bit, but it does have to do with entrepreneurship and uh, building real wealth. And uh, so I don't know if I ever told you this, but a couple years ago um, – like I'm really into auto racing and uh, I, I, I want to race cars. I want to race motorcycles. I want to have everything to do with that. I, I love it. I grew up in that environment and it's it's something that I aspire to do in the future more. One of the largest sanctioning bodies is the SCCA, Sports Car Club of America. And every year they have their national competition. And so one year I went down the list of, of all the people that had won um, at the at the runoffs at the national competition, and I googled each one of their names, and I think I did this for like 20 people. Every single person that I googled owned a business, <laughs> and uh, the reason is this: is because auto racing is extremely expensive. Some of these guys spend a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars just on their car, uh, and then you've got the expenses of the race and the travel and all this stuff. And so, you know, the reason I did it back in the day was I was trying to figure out who are these guys that can afford this, um, and and all of them were small business owners. Yeah. And you know, so this is our final point, Ian. Let's round it off with this, which is, I think people are still going to say like, you know, what if I fail? And you know, cause the consequences could be dire. And, and how do you evaluate your chances? Your story, uh, it echoes the story that uh, James Shramko was telling us the other day, which is that, you know, he was working at the Mercedes dealership and everybody who bought a freaking Mercedes was a small business owner. You know, there was a couple, couple things. I think like, I think the tough thing is, Ian, is like, it's all, there's certain scripts that we all believe in, like the doctor script is one that people feel real comfortable about, right? You look at doctors and you say, well, if they do residency and if they do you know, med school and all this kind of stuff, like here's basically where that ends up. Well, why don't we feel that way about small business entrepreneurs? I mean, part of what I think I would like to do you know, with things like the Dynamite Circle and things like this podcast is show people that if you commit to it, you know, it's a major time investment. We're talking about, you know, five, 10 years here. We're not talking about something that you do after work, part-time, for fun sometimes, right? I'm talking about a whole new life trajectory. But Ian, this is where it goes, right? Yes. It goes to the showroom of the Mercedes dealership. It goes to, you know, the, the track with the expensive cars. Like it goes to living in foreign countries and traveling when you want. Like that's where this stuff and at the end of the day, I look back at that equation, Ian, it was like the 20 years. It's like, uh, and of, of, of being a part of visions that you feel proud of and that you feel like, you know, you have some kind of ownership in versus rolling the dice on somebody else's vision. Yeah, buddy. And that's it. And that's all we got to say about wealth. But we want to hear what you have to say about wealth. What are your fears? You know, what do you have questions about? We're happy to go more into detail about specific stuff here. But Tim, thanks so much for setting us off on this one. This is a really cool topic. 
Yeah, buddy, I can't wait to talk more about this stuff in the coming years. This is this is a really fun one, and this is one that we're uh, we're learning about now. So, um, and and every day, I think you know we're just kind of starting to come over the top of the hill on some of this stuff. And uh, you know, it took us a long time to turn our heads away from that hundred thousand dollars salary too. I mean, it's not easy. It's like a hundred thousand dollars today, or maybe make it in five years. So, um, it's a, it's it takes a while to get comfortable making that decision. That's the whole thing. It's like it's farmer mentality. This whole entrepreneur entrepreneurship thing is that you're going to be broke for a couple years like that's what it takes so if if you take that 100 grand right now that's it you're going to make 100 grand like maybe 200 grand whatever like that's your that's it forever but if you can take that step backward and say you know what i believe in this path like i'm going to do some due diligence here i'm going to look around at other entrepreneurs i'm going to see how their trajectory worked and i'm going to see how i can get a piece of that action for myself and i'll tell you what like um, even now, here's a weird thing. People talk about resume gaps and stuff. Ian, do you think it would be any problem for you to go back and get a job after five years at this point in terms of the hard part wouldn't be getting the job. The hard part would be sticking in the damn thing, right? <laughs> yeah. All yeah, right. absolutely. So, I, I don't think cool. there's a problem if, uh, you know, and the guy that's looking at my resume that cares about a resume gap, I don't want to work for that guy anyways. You know, I look at myself, Tim, down the road, like as the guy who had that hundred thousand job dollar job for five years. And then the guy right, like that I am today that goes completely bust and is at zero, you know which horse I'm jumping on? You know which guy I'm putting my money on? The guy who went through this experience for five years. Booyah. Booyah. All right, let's get moving on to just the hips. All right, well, Ian, I think I'm like a lot of people, which is that I've basically tried to become an Evernote user like three times and I failed every time. And it's finally stuck. And there's a couple of things that have changed. Uh, Number one is I took the time to learn the software. Number two is that I bought premium right away so that it syncs with my handset. And I just wanna to explain to people like what I use it for. Um, it's extremely useful for travelers um, because you can have all of your travel documents and all of your contact information on your handset um, automatically. So it used to be, you know, you have to like depend on your 3G and like search through your Gmail. But now when I buy a plane ticket or make a hotel reservation, I just forward that in my email. I email it to my Evernote account and I automatically label it in my travel documents and then I can just pull it up anytime right on my handset. Super useful. It's obviously um, awesome for content producers, uh, creative thinkers, for idea capture. If I'm walking down the street, I can take a picture of something or record my voice or... Uh, type a note, and then when I get back to my computer, it's there waiting for me to work on. So I'm using it, uh, Evernote text editor for ideation and blog post generation and podcast outlines and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and it, other, one other quick tip, just because I'm getting really pumped about it again, is for those of you who are Evernote users who don't know, you can hit Control Command N or Control Command V, and that'll automatically open up either a new uh, Evernote window or paste whatever's on your clipboard directly into Evernote. So that's the, my two quick tips. And my final quick tip is to make sure that you save your Evernote email address into your contacts in your mail, your Gmail account. So you can just email stuff to your uh, Evernote account. Nice. So I know, I know nice. I, I geek out on stuff, but uh, I'm really enjoying Evernote. And I also think the text editor is fantastic in there. And so it's, it's been hugely uh, a big lifestyle upgrade for me, buddy. 
Yeah, man, I've been using it for a long time. I'm not a power user. Like, you don't have it all synced up and all that stuff yet. But uh, after hearing your story, I'm kind of inspired to do that. Uh, if you spend 20 minutes to learn the software, it could uh, change change the way you're, you do business. Uh, so it's, it's absolutely been great for me. All right, speaking of great for me, one of my favorite bands, Ian, Two Door Cinema Club. My lord, their de- debut record was off the chains. Last week, our boy Alistair... Uh, one of our, uh, t- our, our top dude, uh, Cheers Alistair Man, sent me a little re- email reminder uh, saying, hey, there's a new record out, Dan, and, and we're going to play you guys out with next year from the album Beacon. Absolutely love this band. Absolutely love this podcast. Hey, it's my last night in Chiang Mai, Ian. I'm flying to Bali uh, to go write my book in November, so I'm taking November off, uh, but not from the podcast, of course. I'll see you next Thursday. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do. Hold up. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah.